Thank you, Brother Glenn, for that introduction. Hello, everybody. It's good to be here at the house of the Lord tonight. Good to have my family with me. Hello, family. And some visitors. And I got a bodyguard or two out there. And uh, it is good to be at Hillcrest Baptist Church and get to preach. Uh, Glenn Denton don't let anybody preach. <laughs> and I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Um, I'm like Ava Kabor said about her fifth husband. She said, honey, I'm not going to keep you long. <laughs> so I think you'll be, be ready to go when I get through. So many times God works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. And I want you to know tonight that this subject matter... And I want to go to the Old Testament, and I really mean that I've been led to do this, and talk to us about encouraging us, but also I want to talk about that our God consciousness, we've lost our God consciousness. Whatever happened to the fear of God? We see people just don't fear the Lord. If you have your Bible, and shame, you don't go to the garden without your hoe. And you don't do a lot of things without, you need to come to church with your Bible. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And I'm not going to read a lot, but I'm going to point out to you that tonight, this man, I want to preach on Elijah. And his his cognizance that God was alive and that he wanted Israel to know, backsliding Israel, that God was alive. Israel was uh, in a bad way. She hot and cold. And Ahab and Jezebel were uh, the leaders in that era, more troublesome and wicked than any king and queen before them. And we find Elijah, this intrepid personality, Elijah, who comes on the scene and he begins to prophesy. Every time you see a problem in the Old Testament, you see a prophet. Every time you see a problem, there is a prophet. And you look at Elijah, he comes on the scene, and I must tell you about Elijah. He was a man, uh, this man, Elijah, was here he comes, the fiery-eyed man of God, and he speaks truth to power. Amen. How we need today Amen. men of God, leather-lunged men of God with the fire of God in their eye to speak truth to power. Amen. Moses did. Pharaoh, you better get your act together. There's a lot of little crawly things going to happen if you don't. Paul spoke truth to power. Felix, Agrippa. On and on the Bible shows great men of God that spoke truth to power. And one of the things about Elijah is you'll find in the text that he was perceived to be a man of God. Isn't it wonderful, church, that we can look around at all of these preachers in here and tell without, without a snigger that they are men of God. 
Thank God for men of God who will preach flat-footedly without apology the word of the living God. Aren't you glad you've got all of these preachers who do that? And I want you to know that Elijah comes in this place, this Praetorian palace of Ahab and Jezebel, and I'm going to hurry. And he sees the ivied walls and the golden tubs and the, the golden goblets and the marble tubs and, and he prophesies to Ahab and Jezebel. And he says, there's not going to be any rain until I say so. Wouldn't you love to hear from some of these preachers who get on television and other places that would speak truth to power and just say, thus saith the Lord. In their interviews, they, well, it's Jesus, the only way to heaven. Well, now, you know, come on. Thank God for Jerry Farwell who said, you bless God to Larry King, bless God. Jesus is the only way. Amen. Larry, you got to come through Jesus. So this man, Elijah, comes in this, catch the scene in this Praetorian palace, this beautiful place. There is the queen. There is Jezebel with all of her war paint on. And there is Ahab, the sorry thing. He married bad. Some folks don't know they married bad, and I don't know where, uh, where um, Ahab understood that or not. But he married bad. And old Elijah says, it's not going to rain until I get ready for it to rain. I'm reminded a few years ago, I led this boy to the Lord, and he was a terrible alcoholic. And, and we were out putting the Christmas thing together at, at the church, and... Uh, uh, it said the weatherman said it's going to be bad weather, and uh, so I, he came around to me and he said, uh, "Preacher, we can't work in law. It's going to be bad weather," and I said, um, "Well, I don't worry about that. I have power," and uh, so I just took my hand. I'd heard the weather forecast, and I just moved my hands like that, and the clouds sort of followed my hands. And some of my laymen went right along. They were straight men. They went right along with me and said, he can do it, he can do it. And old Kent said, can he really do that? Make the weather go away? Elijah could really do that. I was faking it. <laughs> and so he says, it's not going to rain till I say so. Wasn't long till the brazen Judean sun began to beat down upon Elijah and Judah. Cows died, buzzards were flying, corn and things were drying up. It was not raining. Every time you see a prophet, you see a problem, but they, the acid test of a prophet is that what they prophesy comes true. And so it was coming through. And there God sends Elijah down by the brook Cherith. And day by day he went down to the brook and he saw his face in the brazen sun like a mirror in that brook. And every day without fail, God provided a raven to come and bring him a morsel, bring him bread. No doubt it was kosher. Bring him bread every day. And he would get his water and his bread from the raven. Natural enemies. 
unusually, unnatural. Did you know that God set him down by Dry Creek and he met his needs in, in an unusual way? And sometimes our creeks grow dry and we're sat down by a drying brook, a place that's dry, nothing's happening. And we understand that God made provision for Elijah in that bad place, a drying creek. And he gave him a morsel of bread. You may feel like that your creek's dry, that your opportunities have gone, and you're in a bad place. Finally, we understand that God showed himself to be alive and real to Elijah in a practical way, in a personal way. If one cannot prove God personally, he cannot prove God at all. And daily, he proved God a personal God. He cared about Elijah. And just as fast as he moved from the palace, the Praetorian palace, we see him now being moved from a dry creek to a dwindling barrel. A barrel that was running low, a meal barrel. Now, a lot of folks don't know what a meal barrel is. When I was a boy, my dad told a story about the local store owner who sold meal out of the barrel. And one day he stopped by to get a, a turn of corn, a, a meal. And Mr. Oscar Milliner told his wife, he said, go back and get a turn of meal out of the meal barrel. Well, she come back and she said, Oscar, the flying squirrels have made a nest in the meal barrel and we can't use it. He said, oh, it'll be all right. Just sift it again. <laughs> so you see, old people, we used to get our meal out of barrels, not out of Martha White and White Lily and so on and so forth. And she had a meal barrel. You understand younger people may need that, splainify that a little bit. And so the meal barrel, he set him now down by a widow. This widow was gathering sticks as he entered the city gate. And he said, hey, lady, uh, bring me a drink of water. And while you're at it, cook me a cake. Cook me something to eat. Well, she said, the boy and I are going to eat what's left. Going to cook up. I'm getting these sticks together. And we're going to eat what's left. Did you know that you and I sometimes come spiritually to the bottom of our barrel? Have you ever been to the bottom of your barrel? No money in the bank. No one caring. Emotionally, you're at the bottom of your barrel. You'll find like Elijah did that not only will he find in a personal way, but in this practical way, God will meet your needs. How many times have us poor preachers needed something and some of you come and give us what we need or a little money to buy what we need? You see, God takes care of his prophets. Amen. One time I had bad pair of shoes. There was no bottom. And I had, uh, I had pasteboard, uh, cardboard in the bottom of my shoes. One of those smart aleck deacons come to me and he said, Preacher, your embarrassment, you need to get you some shoes. You know where I ought to put one of those? Uh, and all of that $117 a week, 
full time. And I said, well, I will. I just haven't got the money together yet, raising kids and so on and so forth. And another church member heard him, and then as he went out the door, he put a $100 bill in my pocket and said, Preacher, get you some shoes to satisfy that old bird. So I bought me some. An unusual way. I was at the bottom of my barrel financially, and I, my, my, my suit, you could hold it up and read a newspaper through it. I mean, it was, I'd wore the seat of the britches out. Elijah was sitting there asking this woman, Cook me a meal. Cook me a meal. And she said, the boy and I are going to eat it and die. He said, nevertheless, do as I say. And she did. You understand something. It's interesting. Listen to me. You listen? I guess you are. Jezebel and this woman who was fixing to cook the cake for Elijah gladly obeyed the man of God. Strange. I'll do as the word of God says. I'll cook your cake. Jezebel and this dear lady were reared in the same, raised in the same town over against Zidon it called Zarephath. They were raised neighbors to one another, by the way. How could one be after to kill the preacher and one going to feed him. We've had that all my ministry. One wants to kill me, one wants to preach. Cook me a cake. How can two women from the same place, because one woman was evil and wicked and the other one had engaged and found out the prophet of God had represented the God of heaven and she reached down in that barrel and every time she would reach down in that barrel, there would be some more just like it. The cruise of oil never failed. Your oil and your barrel will always be there. The prophet said, as long as you need it, it's there. We run to the bottom of our barrel many times and some of it is our own doing. But here is this intrepid personality, Elijah. Fiery-eyed full of God, full of the Spirit of God, prophet. And now he's eating at the widow's table. This little boy is significant that he'll turn up later. God proved himself alive to Elijah personally. Remember, he is a personal God. Remember, Elijah proves him practically in an everyday way. We got an everyday God. Every day, there was the same meal and the same cruise of oil. In your life and mine, I guarantee you, and I'm no prophet, God will meet your needs. Have you ever seen the righteous begging bread, the Bible says? Have you ever seen anybody? Righteous begging bread? Well, we find him. Not only down by that widow of Zarephath, that widow who was so willingly to cook his, we sit him seeing, sitting down by this boy. This boy dies. You'll find in these chapters that this boy dies. And the first thing that happens is that she blames the preacher. The man of God. She said, I know you're a man of God, but it's your fault. 
Have we heard that? Amen. It's your fault, preacher. You know what I tell them? I take the blame for it till we find out who did it. <laughs> so she says, preacher, you have brought this terrible thing upon us. Elijah says, well, it'll be all right. You see, this mother had tried home remedies with the boy. She had tried the best medicine. She had tried doctors. She had tried all that a mother knew how to do. Mamas, you know how it is when you got a sick baby. And nothing worked. The little boy died. You see, this boy was beyond a mother's help. We have boys and girls and men and women that we know and are kin to us that are seemingly beyond the mother's help help and they nothing we do love them nothing we do pay for bail them out of jail nothing we do get them treatment nothing we do does any good they're beyond the mother's help my understanding is why didn't she engage the man of God who had the meal barrel coming up first before she tried everything else did you know that some folks will try everything but being engaging and seeing and trusting and talking to the man of God in the church? Well, preacher, we've carried him to a psychiatrist and he liked to run him crazy. Preacher, we carried him to a psychologist and, and you know, and we, we, we got him counseling and, but why is it that we try everything before we try the Word of God and the men of God and the people of God in church? We try every remedy. I, we've tried. We've spent all of our fortune, preacher. In other words, it's up to you. They, they expect you to run through this machine and these, these people come out not addicted and on the road to glory, you know. But why not try God first? Why not try the church first? In these pews are men and women who love Jesus and will pray for them. In these pews there are men and women who love God and will do all they can. They will pray and they will work. So why not bring them to the house of God first? Well, they don't do church, preacher. Oh, my. They don't do church well. Uh, so we, didn't, we don't want to embarrass them and we don't want to take them to why not try God you've tried everything else parents tonight if you've got somebody that's out there beyond the mother and daddy's help beyond medical help and we've got need for all of that try Jesus Jesus is the one who can relieve them of their burden burdens are lifted at Calvary this man of God Says, okay, where's the boy? We see this first resurrection in the Old Testament. Write that down somewhere. You did learn something tonight. First resurrection of the dead in the Old Testament. Here it is. Elijah goes up and he lays down three times on the boy. Just gets on top of him and lays down on him. 
and praise 15 words of prayer. We think we have to pray a long, embellishing prayer. Oh, Father in heaven. And we use 16th century English, you know, like God, you know. Elijah laid down on him three times and prayed 15 words in a simple prayer. It don't take a long prayer to get results if you know the Lord. And the Bible says that when he prayed, that the boy come alive. And he got him up in his arms. And he brought him down to his mother. Can you imagine that mama? Can you imagine any mama whose baby was dead and now he's alive? She gets him up in his arm in her arms and rejoices because God had worked a miracle. He set him down by a drying brook and a dwindling barrel and a dying boy. And he proved in all cases that God was alive. He proved him personally. He proved him practically. And now we'll see him at Carmel proving him publicly. I ask you tonight to look at this story out of the Old Testament. The Bible says the Old Testament is a schoolmaster for the new. It's a school teacher to the new. It'll help you understand the new. And Elijah, this, this prophet, was a, uh, James chapter 5 and verse 17, it says that Elijah was a man of like passions as well as we. You see, he kicked the dog and got a little upset like some do. He was a man of like passions. Lost his cool a little bit once in a while. But yet he was a prophet of God. And we see this prophet of God being honored by God's provision, personal encounter. You, beloved, oh, great God can know today that personally he'll meet you at your difficulty, at your time of crisis and calamity. He will meet you there in that place. So we see him at Carmel. It's still dry. It's still not rained. Everything's dying. The fish are dead and it's stinking. Everything, the cows are with their feet in the air. It's a bad thing going on. It hasn't rained. I think we're going to get some tonight. I'm not faking it. It is. <laughs> See who's a prophet around here. We see him on Carmel where, where he confronts truth, confronts error. You see, Jezebel tells Elijah in the beginning of the story, God is dead. Jehovah God is dead. I killed him, she said. The living reality of God in all of our lives, some folks just... It don't show up, they don't show up at church in their life. They, to them, God's not alive. But to Elijah, it's alive. Jezebel says, I'll tell you what. The altars of Baal line a thousand hills from Mount Moab to the Mediterranean. Your God's dead, Elijah. The altars of Baal were everywhere. Baal was the sun god, the fertility god. She had 5,000 priests. 
her own preachers. And they wore these shiny discs around their neck, you know, like some of these folks sunning on the beach, you know, they got this reflective thing. They had these discs that they wore around their neck because they were sun worshipers. And you fellows who fought uh, the Japanese, when the Hawaiian and Mitsubishi come out of the sky, you could look on the side of the fuselage and there was a sun, the land of the rising sun. They too are sun worshipers, idol worshipers. And so she says, God's dead. Elijah says, no, he's not. I'll prove to you he's not. And so they find themselves on Carmel and the great contest at Carmel. And you see the sun was high over the Mediterranean and Elijah says, all you priests of Baal, I'm going to give you prime time. The Mediterranean is there and the sun, your God, is at high over the Mediterranean. The Bible account in these chapters 17 and 18 say that this man, Elijah, gave them prime time. And they cried and they hollered and they cut themselves until the blood gushed out. And Elijah mocking them said, well, he must be asleep. Your God must be asleep. Until they all give out, tore the altar down, tore the, all of that down. And Elijah said, are you through? Are you through? And I can just see them. Yeah. So he ordered the altars to be built, to be about bit by, put it back. And then he watered them. He said, get these four barrels of water this time and next time. He prepared the sacrifice and he didn't want any doubt that a thrice holy God was about to answer his prayer. Something significant. Do not miss it. Do not miss it. Do not miss it. This sacrifice on the altar was to placate a holy God who was about to answer by fire. Don't miss it. Yonder 2,000 years ago, Jesus on Calvary was our sin bearer. He was our sacrifice. And if Jesus hadn't been on the cross suffering for our sin and our guilt and our wrong, the fire would have fallen on us. Don't miss it. In this Old Testament picture of the sacrifice of Jesus, it would have fallen on me. Thank you, Lord, for not letting your judgment fall on me. The Bible said he suffered sin for us. Jesus suffered for us, for you and for me. Elijah prays. He's a praying fella. It says that he fell on his face and then he scooted his feet up and he prayed between his legs. If you'll notice in the prayer of Jesus in the garden, if you'll get somebody to splainify it, Jesus fell on his face in the dust in the garden, praying for us. 
The posture of our prayer may not mean much to some, but it meant something to our lovely Lord. And Elijah prays as low down as he can get, and he prays for a thrice holy God to answer by fire. You see, Baal was not God. Jehovah was God. And Elijah knew it. It's amazing to see these people through the centuries who've erected these, as we studied in Sunday school about idols. Moses came back and they had a golden calf, all them earrings. Did you notice there it said some of the, your son's rings. So they must have had some in their nose. I went to uh, McDonald's, I believe, the other night and ordered something, Big Mac. He said, yes, can can we help you, sir? I told my wife, Miss Judy, I said, what would you say? And I said, I I, I want a Big Mac. I want a Big Mac. She said, hush, you'll spit in it. I said, she said, the lady on the, said, so I can understand you. I said, I can understand you either. <laughs> when we got up there, she had that red hair, which I wish I had some of it. And she had a tongue ring, the biggest a marble right on that tongue. No wonder honey couldn't talk. I thought, Lord, have mercy. But it said the sons gave up the rings. This golden calf what kind of nincompoops would worship a calf on the golden calf or anything they make with their hands? Or Buddha. Did you know that Buddha, back in when the, the hordes were coming down upon uh, Indonesia and, and southern Asia, that they covered up the Buddhas, which were solid gold. They were worth $100 million. And they covered them up with mortar, concrete. So the enemy would not know that they were solid gold. And there was Buddha sitting there with a hundred million dollars worth of gold. And a warrior comes by and says, well, there's nothing there but concrete. They got Buddha with his legs crossed. I don't believe that fat little fellow with that big belly. I can't put on my socks, hardly. I don't believe he could squat or put his legs or anything. I believe they had to manufacture that position. But he's too fat. How you could worship a God that you make with your hands and can melt down when there is the real Jehovah God. One, when he created the world, he flung the stars into space. And he'll still be there when the moon quits its shining. And when the stars fall from heaven, burn themselves out. And Elijah calls on a thrice holy God. And he answers by fire. Consumes the water. The sacrifice. All around. And that day upon Carmel, Elijah proved God, Jehovah, to be alive and well, and who answered by fire. Got to get it raining, but quit. I heard it. <sighs> okay. You see, in that time of praying, Elijah knew that God was going to answer, 
And I just wonder how far back he stood, you know. I just wonder, wouldn't you like to see all that occur? Elijah says, uh, take all those prophets down to the creek and kill them all. Kill every one of them. Well, that seems harsh. <laughs> but he ordered their execution right then and there. Can you imagine that creek ran, brook ran red with blood. The consequence of following a false god was seen that day also. We find in the closing of that chapter where Elijah sends this boy. It is the same little boy that he resurrected, that God resurrected and in his arms he held. It's the same little Jewish boy. Theologians say it was that same kid. God had a purpose. Haven't you seen folks just raised from the dead? Us preachers just seen the doctor said they're going to die, you know. First thing you know, they're going to a ball game and sitting around eating popcorn. Resurrection, modern day resurrection. God heals. And so this little boy is sent seven times to the top of the hill. Go see if you see a rain cloud. He follows the instruction of the prophet of God. And he comes back out of breath. Oh, I don't see, I don't see anything. Not a cloud. When I was a boy in the cotton fields of Alabama, North Alabama, and Tennessee, we wanted to quit so bad and you could hear the rain clouds coming across the field. You could smell the rain. You had to be a country boy to know what rain smells like. It's the molecules, by the way, uh, bursting and giving the fragrance. That's what science says. He could smell the rain. Elijah says, go one last time. And he comes back and he says something like this. All I see is a cloud about the size of a man's hand. You know why it was the size of a man's hand? You see, in James chapter 5 and verse 17, it says that Elijah was a man that put his passions into his prayers. He had left his handprint on heaven. When's the last time we've let our handprint on heaven? When's the last time we prayed? With intensity. Lord, if you don't send revival to my heart. Lord, if you don't send revival to our church. Lord, if you don't save my son or daughter. Lord, if you don't answer this prayer. Oh, with intensity on your face like Elijah. When's the last time we prayed? Much less put our passions into our prayers. And so, I got to get to the rain. We quit. Here, Elijah smells the rain. And he tells Ahab to get to the house. It's going to rain. The Bible says it rained. There's a rain coming. There's a rain of the Spirit of God coming. If we'll pray, if we'll acknowledge God, he will 
He will meet us personally in spiritual renewal and revival. He will meet our needs even though it's dry in our hearts and we haven't got our prayers answered. He'll meet us in that dry place. He'll meet us in a crisis, in the calamity. He'll meet us there where we need him. He proved God to be alive personally, practically, and publicly. In the commonplace, in the crisis, and in the calamity. Something about Elijah. It said he, he beat Ahab back to the palace. Now, horses can run pretty good in a chariot. Now, we could talk about jet travel. We can talk about all kinds of travel. But theologians say, how in the world did Elijah get from there to where it was going to rain? And he didn't hold on to the chariot. How did he get from the palace to the, to the creek so fast? The Spirit of God moves as he will. Beloved, today, is your God alive and well in your heart? There's a beautiful song, several songs. He lives, he lives. I know he lives because he lives in my heart. Does he live in your heart tonight? Have you, have you considered abandoning your sin? Oh, preacher, I live above sin. The only way you're going to live above sin is... To rent a room over a honky-tonk. <laughs> That's the only way you're going to live by sin. Maybe you'd like to come tonight, rededication. We used to see folks rededicate. We recap tires. We, we redo furniture. But our soul needs some recovering and reconstituting. Why can't we rededicate like we used to? The house used to be full. Maybe you need to rededicate tonight. But if you're here without Jesus, you'd like to know this God who proved himself to Elijah real and alive and he proves it to us every day. I know he's real. He's real because he lives in my heart.